0: Now that you're all awake, you're ready to learn and uh, ready for the test, right? Did you all come prepared for the test? Well, actually, it's interesting, I, I was almost tempted as we were praying and then uh, preparing ourselves for the offering in the first service because of when Judy had her spell, it was right before the offering in the first service, and so we actually didn't take the offering. So in the second service, we're going to take it twice. No. <laughs> Lord willing, everybody will bring their offering next week in the first service. But we trust in a God that's uh, omnipresent and all-powerful, and uh, He is sufficient for our need. Well, this morning we continue our series in questions asked and answered, and I was just joking about the test, but I do hope that some of the things we're, we're doing that you're going to be able to remember long-term. Not necessarily all the detail, but at least uh, some of the big-picture ideas. In the series questions asked and answered, uh, our goal in terms educationally is to get a big idea concerning what the Bible has to say. And this is a very Christ-centered book, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And and by way of, of review, just for a moment, we began in January with this series, and the goal is to get through the entire New Testament. But as I was leading up to that, I said, well, I better give a big idea about the big book, the whole book divided in two as you look at divided in two, there's an old and the new and the old if you're going to get the big picture idea there it's promises made and then in the new testament it's promises kept and as you take that idea here then you see that it's all the fulfillment of what god had planned from eternity past and putting into reality now in our experience that we have now seeing jesus this side of the cross but as we look at the New Testament, as we seek to go to it, to find out more about God and his plan for a life, we find out the story is really about that promised one who was to come, which is Jesus. And in that promised one who was to come, we, we hear what God has us to hold on to in terms of the truth about his Son. And so far we've looked at the Gospels, those four stories about the life of Jesus, written from a slightly different perspective. One presenting Jesus the Messiah, the Messiah King. The other seeing him as the one who came to serve and not to be served, Mark. Then you saw Luke presenting Jesus as the perfect man. And if you you were to imagine God becoming a man, what would he be like? He'd be just like Jesus because Jesus was perfect. And then you have John presenting Jesus as God. So you have the life of Jesus in the four Gospels. And we spent one or two weeks in each one of those Gospels. And then we looked at the book of Acts. And Acts is not so much focusing on the life of Jesus, but the message of Jesus sent out through his people, the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have the church or the people of God left for a reason, and that's to spread God's good news, his story. And then when we got to Romans, and I couldn't resist the temptation, we kind of stayed there a while. We spent five weeks in the book of Romans, and Romans is a book in which the the message of Jesus is explained. So you have the life of Jesus lived out in the Gospels, you have the message of Jesus sent out in the book of Acts, and then you have the message of Jesus explained in the book of of Romans. And, And then you get into the letters of the Apostle Paul. In the letters of the Apostle Paul, now you have the church trying to live out the message of Jesus. And you find out that we don't always do a great job. Sometimes we do well, and sometimes we don't. And really, as I think about that truth, it really says very plainly to us that that God is brutally honest about us. And that is true not only in terms of the rank and file of us, but also the heroes of the faith. They, They weren't particularly perfect as well. And that is true individually and collectively. So this morning we're going to be looking at a a letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's the second longest letter, 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean 1 Corinthians, which has 16 chapters. And in it we're going to see what goes wrong and goes right in the church. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians, it comes right after the book of Romans. And we're going to try to do two things. We're going to try to get the big picture And then we're going to try to leave with a big point, a singular point out of one of the messages in in one of the individual chapters. Now, now getting the big picture, and I've got to throw this in for free. There there are a a lot of takeaway verses or passages in this book. I mean, it's a rather long book, and there's some ones that people will put on refrigerators and put in plaques and things like that. I was hearing one that is a favorite passage for people who work in the nursery. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. It's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And in that verse, it says this, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> so there's some takeaway verses in the book of 1 Corinthians, and that's one for those who work in the nursery. I didn't get to say that in the first service, and they're probably glad I didn't. Anyway, so, but we're going to look at this morning, the big picture, and it's interesting, I think I, uh, I don't think I've said this already, is that we spent an entire year in this book in 2010. We went... Paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, word by word, spending at least 52 weeks in this particular book. But now we're going to do it all in one Sunday. You know what that means? I'm going to speak a lot faster than I normally do. No, that's not what it means. Well, I, I chose not even to look at my old notes because if I did, I would be too tempted to review everything I had said before. So I want to give you a big picture. What's the big picture? The big picture is this is a church that has a lot of things going wrong with it. We're not going to stay there. We're going to look at some things that were going right. But it talks about what's going wrong, and you can kind of outline what was wrong in three ways. Uh, if you were to, if you were to divide the 16 chapters up, you could put this way. Chapters 1 through 3, what was going wrong? There were a lot of divisions in the church. Chapters, um, uh, 5 and 6, you have the church being disobedient in very specific ways. And then you have in chapter 7 through 16, the difficulties they had in living out the plan God had for them. Our entire series in going through the New Testament is called Questions Asked and Answered, which implies as we go to God's word, if we've got questions, God is not afraid of our questions and he has answers for them. Interesting enough, the book of 1 Corinthians is is that in microcosm example, because largely, It is a letter in which Paul is writing back to them about things they had questions about. And he would say, now concerning this, now concerning this, now what you asked about this, particularly in those last chapters, where he he scratches where they're itching as it relates to the spiritual life. But it's also a response back to some things he had heard about them. It wasn't exactly good gossip, it was bad gossip about things that were wrong. He, He begins by telling them some good things. He said, now you are a church that is blessed. And sometimes we will play the comparison game, we'll compare ourselves individually with other people and we find out that maybe we don't quite measure up. Sometimes as groups of people, we will do that as well, and churches do that as well. You know, that church down the street or down the corner or whatever, they're able to do this and we're not able to do that. And as they were probably going through the life of walking with God, they were playing the comparison game and felt that somehow God had left them short. Maybe they didn't give them all God didn't give them all the Holy Spirit. And he begins by saying, I thank God always for you and all the blessings he has given you in Christ Jesus. But then he says there's a few things that need a little bit of correction. And one of them was divisions. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Paul writes this very plainly, and right out of the text you can see one of the problems or one of the things that was wrong in that church that they had divisions. Uh, verse 3 in chapter 3. For you are still carnal. Which really means fleshly. You're still walking according to just your own human resources. And why do I know that's true of you. who is a Who are a church of the of the living Christ. For where there are envy, strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men. And that's just a colorful way to say it like this. You are Christians but you're acting like you're not Christians. You are spiritual but you're acting like you're just natural. And, and that's not me just being a little bit negative about you i can look at your life and you're filled with envy desiring what you do not have There's strife you're you're always at each other and there are divisions there are people who are just playing the comparison game for instance verse four for when one says i am of paul and another i am of paulus are you not carnal or fleshly now the bold truth is is that churches can be known not by how well they love one another, but how well they don't, or how badly they don't love one another. How they they just can't get along. In fact, it used to be known of, of particularly Baptist churches, and we have a Baptist heritage, is that if you want to get in on a good fight, simply go to a Baptist church. And if you really want to get in a good fight, go to a business meeting. And all people do is they argue and they complain and they you know, they to have a vote and everybody has such a divisive vote. And Paul says this should not be a of, of known of you. That should be not named about you. You should not be divisive in your relationship with each other. But he didn't sweep underneath the rug. He, he put it in print, and we read about it today. The church at Corinth was filled with division. And that's true back then, and sometimes it's true today as well. We should not be people that are known by not getting along. But that's true. It happens. But then he goes on that there's something else wrong with you. And you can't have a solution until you're honest with what's going wrong. And Paul gives advice and counsel for each one of those things he brings up. But in chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, he gets pretty graphic about their disobedience. He writes, verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. And this is a little bit by way of biblical trivia here, is that we have two letters to the church at Corinth, but there were probably four written. And so this is a reference to a previous letter in which he had already talked about it. Now, I'm sure that never happens in churches today. When someone teaches you truth, you never forget it, right? <laughs> well, he had to bring it back again. He said, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or adulterers, since then you would need to go out of this world. And in case you didn't get the drift of it, he says, I'm not saying you should never have friends outside the relationship of God's family that are struggling with any kind of sin. But if you are befriending people in the church who are stubbornly not trying to get away from sin, these are the people you need to get, get away from. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunken or extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. He's saying, don't sweep underneath the rug, again, that proverbial rug, people who are rebellious toward God, who are, who are claiming to know God. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. In every, if you remember back what we entitled this series in the, the letter to 1 Corinthians when we went here for a long period of time, we called it, called it the perfect church for what kind of people? Imperfect people. Imperfect people populate Grace Hill's church as well as any other church. And he's not saying everybody's got to have their act together if they're going to be part of that church. What he is saying is if you're struggling with sin and want to overcome sin, that's fine. But if you are in sin and you don't care about your sinful life and you're going to blazingly just live like it doesn't matter. Those are the people that you need to recognize as that can't be so. In fact, in that chapter, same chapter, he talked about someone who was who was shacking up with his his mom. OK. and he said this can't be this is even heinous in the eyes of people outside the church there is no sin so heinous in God's eyes that he doesn't accept us if we're trying to overcome it by his grace but if God's people live in sin and are not willing to try to deal with it that's horrific in God's eyes And, and that's what hypocrisy is saying you're one thing and living another it's one thing to say you're 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 struggling with sin and you're upfront front about it. But if you say, no, I don't sin, I can live however I want. That breaks God's heart. So what was wrong with that church? They had divisions and they had open disobedience. And the people of God were not dealing with it. Thirdly, there were simple difficulties. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is an interesting verse because it almost sounds like it's better not to come to church than to come to church. Verse 17, he says, now in... Giving these instructions and the context here is the instructions on communion. I do not praise you since you come together and for the better. Not for the better, but for the worse. He was saying some of you are coming to church and you're, you're getting farther away from God than you are to God. Because when you come to God, you have no sense of wanting to do what God says. You're hearing it, but you have no desire to do it. And particularly there, they were being very self-centered as they, as they had fellowship together. They were having potlucks, and if you brought steak and someone had brought hot dogs, you didn't share your steak with the hot dog people. You, it was all yours. And then they would say, now let's love one another and sing Kumbaya. He said, that, that doesn't work. And so as we look at the church, God is brutally honest in saying that church in the past, which leads to the reality it's true in the church of the present and the future, that We don't always live out what we believe. That's what's wrong. And we have that process of trying to make it right by living out God's plan for our life rather than our own plan. And when you take a snapshot of the church, it will be like that throughout your experience with it. You'll never find a perfect church. Well, if that's what's wrong, what's right with the church? And here in the midst of this church in which he writes correction, he tells them what's right. And what's right, number one, it's message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. No matter how much we mess up, we got the message right. And the message, right, is that we are all desperately in need of God's grace to reach down and rescue us out of our sin. I mentioned to you earlier, I guess in the prayer time, that we had vacation Bible school and this is some of the gifts that they brought for a number of missions, South County outreach and some money for Mexico and some different things for Turkey and Rainbow Acres. But as you think of that, we had a theme this whole week on treasure quest. And the treasure question is, what in life should we pursue after more than anything else? I don't know why we're... um, And it was a very clear message to the children. It's all about pursuing Jesus. The verses pointed to that. In Colossians 2, 3, in fact, this is the, the theme of the entire week. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's a practice some of the young adults like to do geocasting, where They go out and oh, they, they hide things all around the community. They have all kinds of clues. And you can find little treasures that people hide and leave behind. And you think of the things you can, you can pursue in life. And some of them are kind of exciting or fun to pursue. But can you imagine getting the treasure in which every part of wisdom and knowledge resides? And that's Jesus. And Proverbs 11.30 says this. He who wins souls is wise. And then very simple message in which they memorize this passage in Acts 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's a lot of things wrong with the church. But what's right is its message. And the message is all about Jesus. But not only is its message correct, also its purpose. And the purpose is is kind of all-encompassing because as we... As we know the message about Jesus, then we are compelled to live a life that honors him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price? And then he gives the therefore in a four. For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. See, the purpose of our life is we ought to live lives that reflect who God is. We ought to demonstrate in our life that that through the fruit of the Spirit that people can say, you know, God is loving because the fruit of the Spirit is love. God is joyful and we are people filled with joy because God is joyful. God God is filled with peace and we ought to be peaceful. God is faithful and we ought to be faithful. God is gentle and so we ought to be filled with gentleness. God is under control and so should we. And you look at the attributes of God; they ought to reflect in us in ways that show that that we have a Father who's imparted His Spirit within our lives, and and we give honor to Him because we live a lives that are pointed in the direction of who He is. You know, when a when an athlete says, you know, after he scores a winning touchdown or puts a puts a ball in the basket at the end of the game or kicks that that ball in the net at the end of a soccer game, and, and they say. Glory to God, and then they go on and talking about it. One is, they can give credit that the abilities they have came from Him. But also, it's not only that they were able to perform a certain way, but how they performed and what kind of manner did they form. And they wanted not to parade themselves, but they wanted the picture to be looked at a God who's so gracious to give us life to its fullest. So what's, what's right about the church, its message and its purpose, we ought to live lives that reflect on who God is. But also what's right about the church, it's faithful with all the things that are wrong about the church and it's been down through the history, what's interesting is the church always endures. You know, Jesus said that he would build his church and he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in the midst of all that has gone down through history, there's been many who've tried to destroy the church, but the church remains here because God is faithful to his church. God loves His church. He considers us the bride of Christ. Then that passage on your bulletin this morning, which is the 1 Corinthians love passage, it, it talks about love in verses 4 through 7, but the, the, the last three words of the verse 8 of that chapter is, love never fails. And what God has called His people to be is to be faithful, to fill God's faithfulness for His witness in this world. One of my favorite passages found in 1 Corinthians 15. Which says this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. See, God wants his church and he will enable his church, not perfectly, to be faithful to him. In the first service I had in my notes, I didn't share it, but you know, when you're either with individuals or with people, you want to be around people you can count on, isn't it? I mean, when, when someone's going to say they're going to show up, you want them to show up. When someone says they're going to do something, you want them, you want to be able to, to believe they're going to do it. Now, I was thinking about um, John Aldridge and his company, Savant Company. And I've had opportunity to kind of observe not only his company, but his, the people who, under his uh, employment. And they've done a variety of projects here, but I've had opportunity to see different projects around, um, actually, the community. And it's amazing just the reputation that company has. One is they're going to get it done, and they're going to get it done on time. And that's what God wants us to be, people that, that, that when there's something to be done, we, we get it done. And when we we get it done when it needs to be done, I, I shared this a, probably a year or so ago. We one of our missions is is down in Mexico. And we were sharing with the children this week on on the Mexico outreach we've done, and and we've had opportunity to put vacation Bible school programs there with one of the churches there, and we've done some things in the school and the orphanage and at the Bible school seminary in a variety of different places. But one time we were asked by. The missionaries there. If we would, we'd would come down and just paint their house. And if you've seen their schedule, they are just going 100 miles an hour all the time. And and they, they just couldn't. They didn't have the funds to have someone else paint it. And and it was you know you know sometimes you paint it for for looks and sometimes you just paint it to preserve your house because it it uh, begins to wear down if you don't put protective paint around it. Well, I, I remember, and it had to be one of the trips I could not go on. But we sent a team down there, and. Uh, In one entire day, we had just people working from early morning to late at night. The entire house was painted on the outside. But what marked me is I got a letter back from them. They said this. They said, in fact, actually, it was good gossip. It wasn't written to us, but it was written in their prayer letter. And they said that they had invited Grace Hill's church to do a project. And they said they could always count that what we said we would do, we would do. And do it on time. And see, that's what the church needs to be marked And Not that we're perfect. We'd love to not have any division at all in the church. We'd like to where we would never be disobedient or never have difficulties. But, but we can be known as being faithful that we get it done. And, and that's what the church is to be about. And that happens individually and corporately, that we are known as people that are faithful to our word. That we will show up. We'll be there in time of need. It was interesting even with when Judy um, slumped over her chair. We had four or five people just rushed to help her. Because there was a need that needed to be met. So as we think about the church. There's lots wrong with the church. There's always going to be things wrong with the church. and, And God has been very open about that. In alarming ways, as well as some things that are hidden beneath the surface. But what is right about the church is its message and its purpose and its faithfulness. Can can you think of a better message to give people that, that God wants people to love Him and to love others? And that's what the two great commandments are all about. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. To love your neighbors, yourself. And then not leave us in the dark about what that really means. I've been reworking and memorizing this passage because I had memorized this passage in another translation, which actually was, (laughs) um, the word usage was significantly different. But just thinking to be faithful, to to be loving people that never fail. To recognize that, that love suffers long and is kind. That actually is a good translation of the word "patient." A lot of your translations will say "love is patient," but literally in the Greek, it means to, to be long-suffering, to not have uh, a short rope, and how long you will be caring for people. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy and does not parade itself. Is not provoked. It. it Love does not envy. It does not seek its own. Love does not behave rudely. Love thinks no evil. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And love never fails. Now, the word order I did in that translation is a little bit different than what's in your text and your bulletin, but this is what God wants the church to be. That's what's right about the church. And it's not based on what kind of spiritual gift you have, what kind of training you have, but it's what kind of heart you have. So what's, what's wrong with the church? There's divisions, there's disobedience, there's difficulties, but what's right It's its message It's about Christ. Its purpose is about giving God the glory and honor. It's, it's faithfulness, it's about loving God. And showing up. And not giving up. Well that's the big picture of 1 Corinthians. Well, can we can we have a big point this morning? Well turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10. And we'll briefly look at a nugget that Paul gave that church. I call it an important lesson. And the lesson really, really... Resol- revolves around the past and, and something that God wants us to do in looking at the past and particularly what God wants us to do is is to learn from the past uh, look what he says in first Corinthians 10 verses 6 uh, through 11 and I will not make a lot of commentary on that but it's just pretty straightforward that we we look back for a reason now do these things become our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And why were they destroyed? No, nor complain as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. Isn't that interesting? He links sexual immorality with having a, a complaining, grumbling, whining spirit. Sometimes we can feel pretty comfortable that we're not committing certain type of sins. But when anybody would like to remain? Uh, raise their hand, they've been sinless by not being a whiner or a complainer or a grumbler. And yet he said some were judged because of that. Verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. There's a lot of backstory to these four or five verses right here. It's when Paul Paul refers back to Exodus when, when God delivered the nation out of Egypt and all that God had done for them. But they fell back so quickly in the patterns of the old life. And he said, you need to look back at that and learn from it. They were examples for us. And we know there's only two types of examples in this world. There are good examples and then there are what? Bad examples. And you can learn from both. Learning what to do or learning what not to do. And he (laughs) pleads with them, "Don't, don't, don't miss all the lessons God wants to teach you. You know, we don't have to learn simply from our own mistakes. We can learn from other people's mistakes or the things they have done right. You know, historians have said this about history. There's one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. You heard that? Because we have a tendency to keep repeating those things. And on a natural level, that's what happens. But see, God is the, is the great intervener where he can break the pattern. He can break the cycle, the things that we fall back into so often. He said, it doesn't have to be. So learn from the past, but then know this. Know that you don't have to repeat the past. Look what he says here. How do you not repeat the past? Two principles. Number one is realize you can easily repeat the past. And that's what he means uh, in verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. If ever we get to the point where we think, oh, I don't have a problem with that. I would never do that. I'm so far from that. It doesn't even enter my mind. We can all fall so quickly into any kind of sin. And all you have to do is read the headlines almost every day and hear about all the stories of people who fall into all kinds of bizarre activity. And you recognize that we need never to be so proud to think that we could not fall back into that or fall into it for the first time. But then not only recognize that we have to be very humble about how easy it is to, to fall into things that that we've either done in the past or other people have done in the past, recognize there is a source of strength. First Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation or testing or trial has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But who is faithful? God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, tried or tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation or trial or testing will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it or endure it. There are two different types of trials or testings from my perspective. One is those immediate tests, whether it's either pass or fail right now. And then there are others that endure, that last for a time. And often those ones that endure are the more difficult to trust in the faithfulness of God because you can't necessarily see that immediate light at the end of the tunnel. And for some of you, it's those, those health issues that, that are lingering. You know, when am I going to get better? When, when am I not going to be in pain? Those who are in financial reversal when it, when am I going to be secure financially? When are my loved ones going to turn around whatever it might be? worries of the past that continue in the present and the future and and you just hold on as best you can to to god 's presence and faithfulness and then there are other trials where it 's right there are you going to, are you going to go down that path and you know risk your reputation by by taking that which is not yours or participating in that which God would be broken heart if you did. And it's a momentary decision. But whatever it is, God says that He will screen your trials and not allow you to go through a sickness or financial reversal or trauma in your family that you are not able to bear it. Not without difficulty, but you will be able to bear it with His strength. And really the question becomes, uh, are you going to turn to Him or are you going to rely upon your own strength? Are you going to go down the wrong path, push the wrong button or the right button in terms of trust? I started to tell this story in the first service and then uh, Judy uh, had her episode of kind of oxygen deficiency. And, and I was thinking about in times in my life where at times where I, you know, I pushed the wrong button where I you think, well, how could I do that? But you, you just don't go to the right source. I, I was telling you, that many of you know that I I got certified in scuba diving, but it was a, it was a process. There's all kinds of things they teach you, and and one of the things they they teach most of the times they teach you either on the side of the pool before they put you in the ocean or they put you in the shallow part of the pool so you can do it above above the water rather than below it. And, and you're doing all these things. You're feeling pretty good about it. And then they say, okay, let's go to the deeper part of the pool and, and and let's start doing things underneath the water. Let's go down 15 feet and do all those things we've been teaching to do. Well, it's interesting. Things were going well and we went on the deep section and we were all floating there. And then then uh, we were given this the sign to descend in the water. Well, we had like six or seven people there, and everyone was descending except somebody. You know, that was me, you know. And, and, and they're all submerging. I'm on top of the water, and I'm, I'm, I think I'm doing everything they're doing. And if you, it, it seems somewhat counterintuitive because when you, when you go scuba diving, they put this heavy tank on your back, and just to make sure you go underneath the water, they put, they put weights around you as well, and it's really easy to go underneath the water. But what happens, you don't realize, is that, first of all, they, they put you in a pretty significant a wetsuit if it's seven mil you could float forever just on top of water with a pretty heavy wetsuit because it just creates buoyancy but the other thing they do is they you put you put on at least now what they do they put a bcd around you which is a buoyancy control device and they and they put some air in it when you first get in the water well when you descend you have to do something very simple and if you don't do that very simple you will not go underneath the water And in it, you have this device right here that you hold above your head, and there's two little knobs here. One puts air in the BCD, and one takes air out of it. Well, everybody else figured out you push this button right on that button, and they were taking air out of the BCD, and they were simply descending underneath the water. Well, I'm thinking I'm doing exactly what they're doing, but instead of putting air out of the BCD, I'm putting air in the water. It's almost like I got shot to the ceiling almost, okay, how much air I put in there. And the thing is, it realized no matter how, if you do everything right, but one thing, you won't reach your destination. And I had to realize I was putting air in my tank, not taking air out. And so often the reason we struggle so much is, is that we're going to the wrong source. And, and we're not turning to God's faithfulness. We're, we're somehow trusting in something else or someone else. And the story of the church at Corinth is that so often, as we read earlier, they were walking simply like mere men or women. It was like they had Christ within them, but they weren't tapping in on that source that would give them hope. And I just want to share with you that, that God is faithful. And even when things are going wrong around you or within you, God can get it right. Because God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we all need to hear a message like this and apply it on a daily basis. Because there are times where things just seem overwhelming to us. Or the trial just seems to linger too long. Or the opportunities that seem right before us, somehow we're we're not able to reach them because we're pushing the wrong button. And, and Father, we don't always know the, the unique, special things you want us to do, but we know what you want us to do. And that is learn from our past and, and recognize we don't have to repeat the failures of the past by trusting and relying upon you. Maybe there's someone here this morning that they've been uh, they've been lingering on the surface with you. They, they want to go deeper. But somehow they, they can't descend into your, into your love and faithfulness because they keep holding on to something that will not allow them to take that next step. Father, might they just give that to you this morning? Might they trust and rely upon you and you alone? Might they recognize that you are Faithful? And that you will not bring them to them anything that they can't handle through your grace. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, I just, I just plead with them just to, to open up their lives to the one who can forgive them of all that's wrong in their life. And put what's right in their life, which is the love and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finish this worship experience together, And as we uh, celebrate together in fellowship, might you be praised and you be honored. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing our final.